I'm so glad you decided to join us today. This is the Words for Life podcast, where we have discussions to positively impact your life. And I'm your host, Terrence Farrell, a.k.a. T. Farrell. And I say it all the time, but I, I just feel it all the time. We have an amazing show. We have an amazing, I should say episode. It's an episode. Amazing episode. Today, the topic is never give up. And just a side note, it's something that I've struggled with. Not that I want to give up, but I always want to shift gears. You know, I start moving down one path and something comes in the way and I go, okay, back up. Let's go a different way rather than keep pushing through. And our guest today, uh, most of you know him. He's my business partner, uh, CEO of Be More Today, Sean Thomas. But just in case you don't know who Sean Thomas is, I'm not going to read the whole bio. I'm going to give you a couple of highlights. Um, like I said, he's the CEO of Be More Today. He has a doctorate in physical therapy from Downstate Medical Center. He's an elder at my church, Kingsborough Temple. Uh, he's also the author, he's an author of Be More Today, A 40-Day Guide to a Better Version of You. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a marathon Like this dude does, he does so much. Um, and I just want to, I want you to help me welcome Dr. Sean Thomas. How you doing, bro? Darius, I'm great, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Man, it's cool having you here again. You you were featured on episode one. Yes, sir. That's how you kicked it off. That's right. Yes, yes we kicked it off. Uh, did the, the the second podcast under Be More today. So and it's been it's been working just fine. And I'm glad you agreed to come back. Of course, I I love you. I love the work you're doing. I love the Words for Life podcast. It's grown so much. And it blesses me every single Wednesday. I listen to it every single Wednesday and just enhances my life. So thank you for what, all the hard work you're doing. Thanks, man. Thanks. So um, I, I want to start off and I just read I just read just highlights like this ain't even your whole bio. And a lot of people, they look at you or they look at certain people in church and they feel like, oh, these guys, they were just born Christians. Like they just they they never slipped up. They never did anything. And before we go into all the, the, the other questions that I have, I wanted you to to kind of expound on what was the moment where God kind of got your attention? I, I Sometimes I call it a conversion moment, but I don't know if it was that for you. What was that moment like for you? Sure. I think I've had a number of these moments. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the first one I can remember vividly was when I was probably about 13 years old. Um, I was baptized when I was 13. And uh, I was born and raised in the church. I was all into the church. So when I started learning about God at an early age, thanks to my parents, I was in everything. I was in uh, what we call Pathfinders, which was basically like a Boy Scouts version. Um, mm -hmm. I was in Pathfinders. I was uh, the, the captain for Pathfinders, the squire for Pathfinders. We would do Pathfinder among the Olympics. We would do everything that was church-related. I was in a sign language group that was a Christian-based group. Uh, I was in a singing group in church. I was in everything. I was the audiovisual person for church. I would be in Sabbath school. I was all over it. And I was just saturating myself in church so much that I was so connected to it. I wanted to get baptized early. And it was, I was 13 years old. I remember it vividly. We got baptized with some of my other friends who were also young. And we were on fire for Christ. We were all about 
sharing God's word and following his principles. And um, it was really cool being around young people who were trying to live a life that was based on Christian fundamentals. Um, and I realized that I've had moments like that in my life that were different in terms of God showing himself again to me saying, what are you doing? Like, where do you stand? And that was the where do you stand moment for me when I was 13. Um, but that was probably the first one. And um, I think the reason I had other moments that came about was because like everything in life, you know, you, you get, you get comfortable. Um, for me, everything in life is about checkpoints. So, you know, you think about, you want to go to high school, you check that off. You want to go to college, you check that off. And in my Christian walk, I saw it like that for a while. I mean, I was at a point where I was doing anything that you should do as a Christian, I was doing, right? Go to Sabbath school, be in Pathfinders, do this, do that. I was doing all those things. So I checked all the boxes off and I would check them off well. I was like the leader for all these different things. And I got to a point when I was around 17, 18, where I said, are there any more boxes left? What more boxes do I have to check? And I, I, I started to lose my, not my interest, because I was always interested in, 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 in the word doing things, but I started to lose my, my drive to check off more boxes or to grow those boxes to a different level. And um, I've had other moments in life that, that reminded me to get back to where I needed to be, but that was probably my first moment when I was 13 years old. Wow, wow. And, and it's so true. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot of times we focus on the fact that, oh, we, we need to find the people that weren't raised in church. But those that are raised in church, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that you've been in there so long, you feel like you checked all the boxes. I've heard all the sermons. You can't, you can't preach about David and Goliath one more time. Or if I hear about, you know, the serpent in the, in the Garden of Eden, it's just like, okay, I got it. I'm doing this. I'm doing, uh, I, I checked the, the Christian box. Right. And we don't we don't dig into that relationship a little bit more. I, I, I feel like we can go off on a tangent there. I, I But that's not what this one is about. But I, I might even have you back again. And let's, we're going to dig into that. But yeah. what I wanted to talk about and I've only heard you touch on it. And maybe just because I'm not there when you really go deep. There's a part of your testimony. I think when you was in school and you were always into sports or whatever. But where you injured yourself, you injured your leg. Um, and I think I heard you share that doctors told you you couldn't do something. So I don't even know what the injury is. You tell me, tell, you know, explain to everybody what that was and what they told you you couldn't do. Sure. It actually piggybacks from where I just picked off where the most part of my life, I was really ingrained in church was 13, 14, 15, 16. I was really into everything that was church based. Um, and I started seeing that, uh, there weren't a lot of resources for young people to get into. Um, and I was very much into sports, like you mentioned. So I, I played everything from soccer to cross country, uh, skiing, lacrosse, baseball, basketball. Lacrosse. Everything that you can think of, I played. Not football, though, because football just kind of scared me in general. But um, <laughs> I was big into all those things. And I never could compete on the Sabbath. For those of you who are not Christians listening, you know, I'm Seventh-day Adventist as is Terrence and our belief is um, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, the fourth commandment. So we don't do a lot of things on Saturdays. We don't work on the Sabbath, depending on what, what family you may, may be in. Some don't cook on the Sabbath, some don't clean on the Sabbath, et cetera. But we basically have a Judaic belief in terms mm -hmm. of how the Sabbath is supposed to be upheld. And as a kid, you know, my mom was Seventh-day Adventist. My dad at that time was not. And um, I grew up, I have, I have, 
four brothers, but for the most part, I was by myself for a while. And I grew up in somewhat of a split belief household, right? Um, and I had to choose. And I chose for a long time to be with mom, to go to church with mom, to, to follow whatever mom was doing. And I, I felt like at a point in my life where I was getting really good at sports, I wanted to explore what I was missing out on. I was going to a school at the time called Tuxedo Park School, and um, I was the best athlete at that school. So I was on a soccer team, and when we played soccer. When I was there, we won. On a Saturday game, we lost because I wasn't there. And um, I would get all kinds of flack for not going, and you know, the students would like, look at me and say, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? And then we had this thing called field day, which everyone knows about a field day. But field day in this school was insane because the entire school was split. And um, they had green on one side, gold on the other side. And I was a green team captain. So every field day in the spring, they had this big competition with points or whatever else. And I wasn't there on any of those days. And we lose those things every single year. So when I was 15 years old, again, this is basically at that point where I checked up all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, you know what, let me just, let me just do this. And I, I asked my mom if I could do it. She said, yo, let's make your own decisions. So I decided to start doing things on Saturdays. And, um, I remember I, I started doing this field day thing on Saturday this one time and I won everything on that day. And I felt so hype. Um, it gave me a feeling that I had felt before in other things, but it was just different when when the world starts to really appreciate you for certain things that you know you can do already, but now they're giving you more accolades. Mm -hmm. And that became a thing that went on into high school. Uh, In high school, I tried out for a soccer team and I got onto the soccer team, I got onto the basketball team, I got onto the cross country team, I got onto the track and field team. And I was varsity for all these things. And all these things were on Saturdays. And I slowly went from doing a lot of church events clearly to, I mean, I went, I went to a boarding school, so I was away from home, but um, my, my routine became uh, less of the Sabbath foundations in terms of respecting the Sabbath and really my own thing, which for a point in time was Friday night, I'd be home studying my word, listening to my music, gospel music, meditating, praying, etc. And then Saturday, I'd have my, at the time, my Walkman, not my CD player, but at the time <laughs> I had my Walkman, right? And my headphones and I'm, I'm at a meet. I'm at a track meet. I'm at a basketball game. Um, in my mind, that was enough to be okay. And um, I did that for a long time. I, I, I broke a lot of school records. I won a lot of awards. I was captain for all these teams. And then I, my senior year in high school, I remember I decided I was not going to play basketball that, that season. I was going to do indoor track finally, because I was in the best shape of my life. I just want all these different things. And, um, I was looking to break these school records again because I already broken two records this uh, for high school and in, in, in track and field. And I played this, ba- this basketball game against this JV kid who I knew, but he was just talking some smack to me. And if anyone knows me, my wife will tell you, I'm very defensive in certain ways. So whenever someone tells me I can't do something, it just makes me say, okay, let me show you that I actually can. And uh, we played one-on-one. We played to like 11 and I remember it was eight to two and I was winning. And all of a sudden I felt this heat in my knee. Um, it felt like hot and cold at the same time. And I kept playing the game because, you know, like Kobe Bryant, you got to finish every game no matter what. So I finished the game and we were supposed to go to a track meet actually the next day. Dartmouth Relays was supposed to be the next day. And who knows why I was playing basketball before I had to go to a track meet the next day. But I was, you know, I'm 18 and whatever, not really thinking about consequences. 
But uh, I didn't tell anybody. I went to the locker room. I put some icy hot on it, some Bengay, put some ice on it. And then I packed up my bags for the next day. I didn't tell my coach at all. I did the meet the next day, which was on a Saturday. I dropped it relays. I won the meet. I won drop it relays in 1999. And I came home and I told my coach that my knee was bothering me. So we went to go get an MRI, uh, which is basically like a, a, a device that goes and shows you soft tissues in the joint. So if I had torn anything, it would have shown me that. Because I had an x-ray and that was negative. And the doctor told me, yeah, uh, you have a torn meniscus. You're having surgery in February. And I was in complete shock for a number of reasons. One, I was like, what do you mean? I have, what's, what's the meniscus for one? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. I had never been injured before. I'd never been hurt um, ever. Never, never any injuries. And um, the meniscus is basically the cartilage between your knee that cushions your knee. So uh, its main job is to make sure that the bones don't touch each other. And when, when you do any kind of twisting, turning, bending, that you don't have any pain or discomfort. And mine was completely torn. Uh, they call it a bucket handle tear. It was big enough that you can actually grab it if you had to grab it and pull it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically the bucket handle tear they talk about. And it was uncommon because usually the medial one is the one that gets most torn. But mine was lateral, which is not very, very common. It's atypical. So I had surgery at the age of, I was actually 17 at the time. It was February. And um, I was so fixated on getting back to the track that I didn't take my therapy seriously. Now, I didn't know anything about physical therapy. I'm a physical therapist, but I had no idea about what physical therapy was or is. Um, the, the PT I was working with was kind of hands-off and I went once or twice and said, I can do this stuff at home. I'm going to just do it at home. And I did stuff at home, but it was not what I needed to do. It was not enough. It was enough for me to come back and run because I came back in five weeks, which is not the usual time frame for recovery for anyone. I don't care what's, how old. What's the normal time frame? It really that? takes about, you know, you want to give about two months, two months, three months to really feel strong enough and get ready to do whatever you want to do. But I was so fixated on winning and breaking more school records and winning more awards that I said, I have to come and be back for my team. So I came back, I ran and we won. I came back. I don't even know how I came back and did so well, but I did. And, um, I remember looking at myself and saying, okay, well, I got through that. But the knee was never the same. And I just got recruited that year, my senior year, I got recruited to run in college. So again, back to me just saying, you know what, let me just see what the world has to offer. Um, I said, I'm gonna go full throttle with this thing and get recruited to college. So I got recruited to college and I ran track and field. I got recruited to four schools, um, UPenn, Brown University, Williams College and Emory. And I decided to go to UPenn, actually. But then the coach who recruited me was leaving. And I found out after I, I had decided to go. So uh, he was going to Cornell. So I said, I'm not going to go to a school where the guy who wanted to bring me in is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. I chose to go to Brown um, instead. And I'm so glad I did because I met the best coaches there and what have you. But I ran at Brown for four years. And again, just fixated on winning, 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 running on Saturday. Same, same premise. And I had a CD player now because CD players had come out, but um, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of skipped. So you couldn't run and, and run and jump with them at the same time. They would skip, but I was always playing my Christian music. I had these Christian mixtapes on Friday. I was home. I'd be home Friday night studying, playing gospel music, eating my whatever, uh, PB and J, drinking my Roma, you know, whatever, all this stuff, you know, thinking I'm still, doing my part to stay connected and in the fall we didn't have any meets so i would go to church in the fall um i would go to church all fall from basically september until 
uh, December. And then when the, the season started, I was ghost. I was basically at track meets. Um, and if we didn't have a meet, I'd go to church again. But I was always studying and I was always so connected. Just I really wanted to showcase my talents on, on Saturday. I wanted to see what that was like. And I remember going my senior year. I had done all these different things. I'd risen in the, in the ranks in terms of competition. And I was my senior year, I was seated number one in the, in the league to win my, my event. And that August, August of 2020, uh, uh, 20, uh, 2002, I hurt my knee again playing basketball. And I had surgery again on the same knee in August of 20, uh, 2002. And for this stent of therapy, I was out for four months. Mm. I was walking around with crutches, walking around with a cane. Um, I went from this guy who everybody looked at as, this is the guy, yo, he's super talented. He's our captain. He's our, he's our everything. You know, I had one freshman of the year, three years before that. I was MVP the year before that. So everybody was looking at me as that guy. And then I'm walking around with crutches and a cane for four months. And it was a longer period of rehab because what should have taken, like I said, two, three months was taking much longer now. And I got frustrated. Um, I was upset. I was mad at myself for playing basketball. So I know I shouldn't have been doing that. And that coach always said, if you're playing anything, don't play basketball because it's just one of the worst things to do in terms of <laughs> your knees and what have you. But, you know, if you love something, you're going to do it regardless. Um, I was mad at God a little bit because I didn't know why this had to happen to me again. Um, but the one thing I have learned in my life is that God works in repetition a lot in my life. And I don't think I caught the message the first time. So he had to show it to me again, which was twofold. The message for me was one, I respect my Sabbath. You, Sean, you have to respect my Sabbath because you learn certain things about what the Sabbath means. Um, I'm not saying this is for everyone because everyone doesn't believe what we believe, but because that's what I believed in, that's what I grew up believing in, I had to do that mm -hmm. because I didn't do that. I think that he was trying to show me that. And two, it was showing me that, look, you got to take this thing seriously. You want to get back on the track. You want to get back to moving the way you moved before. You got to take physical therapy seriously. And I had to put the most work into retraining my body that I could get back out there and compete again. Um, and I, I did it. And I did it from uh, uh, September all the way through the season. I, I came back just in time to compete in the indoor season. And I had a chance to finally go out there and win this thing, win this conference. And there was a freshman named Samir Lane, who was from my hometown, from Newburgh, New York. And I was from Walkville, but the one town over. I never had met the guy because I didn't go to high school, right, at home. I went to boarding school. But I knew him by name. He knew me by name. And he was phenomenal. Like this freshman came in basically as good as I was, stronger than I was, faster than I was. And he was supposed to be now the new guy on the block. And I remember coming off of surgery strong because I had already had a strong foundation, but not where I wanted to be. And we had this meet at the same place at Dartmouth where I had won that meet in high school. It was at that same facility, that same place. It was me and him dueling off. And I beat him by half an inch. Wow. Now, if you're talking about the triple jump, which is basically this, this event where they measure you from the place you take off to the place you land. It's like 49 feet, right? So to beat somebody by a half an inch for a 49, 50 feet, you know, thing is insane. And the meet was on a Sunday. 
which was awesome. I think God blessed me with that because those meets were Saturday and Sunday meets. So you could do half the events on one day and half on the other. But he blessed me in the sense that he knew I wanted to win. He wanted to show me a lesson. Um, and I, I think I learned a lesson. But the lesson also was that God can heal us to be where we want to be and even better. But we have to have faith and we have to put some work into that. There's no way that I did that myself. Knowing how much of a, a great athlete that Sam was, to actually beat him by half an inch that day after what I had gone through, I had to give all that back to God. And the crazy thing is that same thing happened in the spring. In the spring, it was me and him again at Yale, me and him dueling off. And I had more time to kind of get better now, but he's a better athlete. And I beat him that time by half an inch. Half an inch, Terrence. Half an inch. inch. Um, And I look at it and I say, you know what? Everything I want to accomplish that year, I still was able to do. Even though I got hurt, even though I had to go through all this trauma, um, I was still able to win back-to-back titles. I was able to be a conference champion. I had my name on the wall for the top three of all time, all this stuff. And I just have to thank God because he showed me that even though you do get hurt, the mindset you have to have to believe you're going to get better is something that you have to work on. And that's all I did. I worked on that. I prayed. I, I prayed that God was going to heal me, that he forgive me for not abiding by the, 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 the message he was trying to send me the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and he blessed me. And not everyone gets blessed. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to say, well, here you go. You know, you get, you get to have this. But I think he knew that it was so important to me to, to reach that goal. I mean, I didn't break the school record, which I wanted to do. I came very, very close. Um, but he knew that at least showing me that was going to be sufficient. And then after that, he said, you know what, now bring yourself down and let's get back to what we should have been doing from all along, which is going to be to respect this habit for what it is. And, you know, ever since then, I haven't ever done anything, um, that I thought was as intense on, on the Sabbath in terms of competition or what have you. And I really respected it ever since then. Um, so I really appreciate that journey. Now, was there ever a time through that, especially when you got hurt the second time, where you felt like, um, you know, some people feel like I don't deserve it because I did something uh, not the best in God's eyes. I mean, some people take it to the nth degree and they go, oh, man, I really messed up. God's never going to forgive me. Some people go all the way there. But even not going all the way there, some people feel like, well, I don't deserve to win. So they don't try as hard. What kept you pushing as hard as you pushed? So first of all, I'm, I'm very stubborn. <laughs> I think that that bodes uh, for a good thing and a bad thing. Good in the sense that, again, if someone tells me I can't do something, I'm going to make sure that I show you that I can. Mm-hmm. And two, I'm stubborn in the sense that, you know, I didn't do my therapy well. So I, I think that God was always showing me that he was going to bless me with it. Um, I had to really believe it. And I, I think for it, there was a, a small period in time when I first had the second surgery um, in September where I definitely thought, because it wasn't going as well. Like it, it wasn't going well. And I thought to myself, maybe this is not where I should be. Maybe this is not going to happen for me. Um, and even people, my coach talked to me and she was like, maybe you want to take the rest of the year off. You can redshirt this year. My parents were like, maybe you should just hold off for a while and just rest. Um, and, you know, those, those small little nuggets did sit with me for a while. They did think, I did think to myself, maybe they're right. Maybe I should just stop for a while. Maybe I should just stop all this and call it a quick. Because what's the point of trying to come back 
how can you come back and do anything after all you've been through, right? How can you be as resilient or as strong as you think you're supposed to be with not as much training, with not as much preparation? It doesn't even make any sense. But I think I had seen enough in terms of how God has done other things in my life mm-hmm. to recognize that I never count God short. Um, I never found a time where I said, God, help me to do this thing. And he didn't help me to some extent. Was it to the extent that I needed it to be? Not always, but he always helped me. And I think I was so fixated on on all the time I had put into this this craft or the harness, this, this skill, this talent, that I said, what's, what's the point of not to at least ask, right? Where it says ask. So if I'm not going to ask, then what's the point? I'm going to at least ask and see what's going on. If, if the answer is no, the answer is no, of course. But I, there was never any real doubt in my mind that I was not going to at least be competitive, at least be able to come back and be somewhat resilient. And I think I just always had that, that knack ingrained in me uh, in everything, not just sports, you know, school stuff, what have you. I think I've always had a, 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 a little thing on my shoulder, a little monkey or whatever else on my shoulder saying, they don't think you can do this. So you have to show them that you can do this. And that goes from school to athletics to, it could be tic-tac-toe, Terrence. It could be anything. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on that. Like I'm, I'm that guy. And- no, I, I, re- I remember, I think I went bowling with you. And <laughs> you hit another gear and it's like, yo dude, we're just bowling. And it's like, no, no, if we're gonna bowl, we're gonna bowl. It's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I mean, I, 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 I read a lot of like things and I hear a lot of podcasts on like Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. They have the same kind of like, I'm going to go up there and just take you down. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what, 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 what drives them to do that. But I, I share that. I share that. I share that sentiment sometimes. And sometimes it's to my detriment because sometimes I'm like, yo, calm down. It's just, it's a social. It's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely always believe that I can, I can do anything. And I, I know that that's, not, that's never me. It's never about I can do anything. But it's always that I believe that God can help me to do anything. And I, I never really doubted that I would not come back. I just did not think or envision that it would be as dramatic or as uh, uh, powerful as, as, as those two situations were. Nice, nice. Now, um, in reading your book, the book that you wrote, um, Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. Um, I've got to think that these experiences are poured into this book because there's a lot in the book, you know, that feels like it has that as the foundation. Is that true? Yeah, a lot of the the chapters are basically stories that uh, highlight situations that I went through that basically describe these same things, uh, situations of resilience, situations of failure, situations of, of heartbreak, situations of trials. And, you know, I wrote it because I, I really feel like, at least in dealing with my patients, the biggest thing that I see every single one of them walk into the room with is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of not knowing what they're going to experience, fear that they're not going to be able to get through this, fear that they're not going to be able to trust me or whoever to get them better. And, you know, being someone who's gone through therapy, uh, someone who has clearly studied therapy, uh, and someone who was or is a competitive person, I feel like all those three things help when I see somebody um, to get them to where they need to be. 
because a lot of the things that people have to deal with in terms of their physical pain starts really up here. It starts with the mindset of, can I even get through this? Am I going to get, get, can I see myself walking out of here, you know, two months later in this situation, but in a better place. Mm -hmm. And um, my job is really just to instill that. I mean, I think the best therapists really are the ones who can get someone to trust them and can get someone to have faith that they are going to get better. Um, and the book is about that. The book is about, yes, you being better, but not just better in terms of your physical goals or what have you, but whatever you're trying to do for your life, whether it's your career, whether it's your health, whether it's your, your schooling, anything that you're trying to do, we can be better at it, but we have to believe that we can be better at it. And the book is basically just a guideline or um, a, 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 a thing for us to follow uh, for 40 days. And it, it takes you through different ways to figure out what your goals are, what you want to start doing, what you want to stop doing. And it just gives you a blueprint to make sure that you get your goals done and it gives you the accountability you need to make sure you get them done and you actually finish them. I think we all have goals. We all have things you want to start doing. I mean, 2020 is that, right? We all had something <laughs> we want to do this year. Um, but it, it takes a different uh, mindset to make sure that no matter what comes your way, if it's surgery, if it's not surgery, if it's, if it's COVID-19 or if it's, you know, whatever comes your way, that you're going to stick to your goals. You're going to stick to your, your, your belief system. You're going to stick to whatever you said you wanted to do, your word, and you're going to actually get that thing done. And that's what the book's really about, accountability. That's, it's, it's, it's an awesome book that you, that, that you put together. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the company that, um, you know, be a co-founder in this company. And it's, it's just true that you're, you're right. It all begins in the mind. And then to have the, the logical steps or the steps to, to bring the goal to fruition. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is, because you can have it all in your mind and not know the proper steps and, you know, it not work. You can have all the proper steps and not believe it's going to happen. And you just you won't approach the steps correctly. Right. Um, I really appreciate you, the, the time. I, I wanted to move into um, another part of your testimony, a part that um, I was actually a part of. But I don't want to make this one too long. Would you agree to come back and we do part two? Uh, so, so that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to end the podcast and next week we're going to do part two with another part of his testimony. It was a, it was a test that you needed to take. And man, I, I tell you the truth. If I was in your position, I don't know if I would have kept pushing. Mm. And when I saw you go through that, that was, that was, so that's, that's next week y'all. Um, Every Wednesday, it comes out. This is the Words for Life podcast. Uh, I thank you for coming out today. And what, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to play a track called Never Give Up. It's uh, Be More Today is the artist. I actually wrote it. I think it might even be me on it singing, too. I'm not sure. I forget. Yeah, 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 it is. Sean's shaking his head, yes. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> I'm going to play that now. I thank you and tune in next week for part two. Life throws its punches. I do my best to stay up. Even when it knocks me down, you can't count me out. If I stay down, I lose the game. Means I threw in the towel. 
Found the strength to climb back up and go the next round. I get up, find a lesson to learn and keep moving forward. I get up, find a lesson to learn. I'm one step closer. I get up, find a lesson to learn. So I get better. I get up, find a lesson to learn. And always remember. Never give up. Haters' voice is loud. Never give up. Backed in a corner. Never give up. Hurt and you're angry. Never give up. No, never give up. Never give up. There is nothing too hard. So never give up. You're one step closer. Never give up. Keep on believing. Never give up. No, never give up. Now I got some traction. Plans are back in place. Not dwelling on the past. Not playing it safe. My purpose is pushing me to plant my mustard seed. The future is waiting for those that believe.